Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phyllis Gove. And with us today for West Wing West Wing Wednesdays is Anupam Nigam, uh, past and future guest, uh, writer EP on Mac X4, Station 19, Defiance. Uh, he's been on for Godzilla and uh, Blue Streak. And now he's here to talk about 
post hoc ergo propter hoc, everyone's favorite Latin titled episode. <laughs> um, I want to kind of rewind for a second. First of all, thank you so much for being here, Anupam. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. I thought after I had droned on about Godzilla for 90 minutes, it was just like, okay, we don't need to do that again. <laughs> oh, Lord knows. We, we could have we kept going on about Godzilla, <laughs> that's for sure. But um, I want to kind of find out how the West Wing came into your life. If you watched it in 99, um, what sort of impression it made on you at the time and if you've rewatched it and it still holds uh, holds up for you. So I did not watch uh, the first two seasons when they aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always liked the movie, The American President. Like I always sure. uh, dug that movie. But for some reason, when the show premiered, maybe I, I caught one or two episodes and it didn't super captivate me right, right away. Uh, and then I got into this thing. The reason I came out here to be a TV writer was I got into something called the Warner Brothers Drama Writers Workshop and Western sure. was produced by Warner Brothers. So we were all clearly instructed to know every Warner Brothers show you could know. So I was watching West Wing and Smallville and ER and all that stuff. And it was then, so this was the third season of West Wing where it was amazing. The third season is like the greatest, one of the greatest seasons of television like ever. And that's when I really, really got into it. So I watched first run seasons three through seven. And I, I forget what year it was, but they started airing two episodes a day on Bravo at one mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So I started, uh, they would actually show four episodes. They would show the two from the evening, the night before in the morning, and then two new ones. I would watch all four because when you're a writer, you spend a fair amount of time on unemployed. And I, <laughs> I got caught up on the show super fast. And like, I, you know, you know, I watch reruns of everything still of things I love. And it eventually, I think it's safe to say it became one of my favorite shows ever. It's probably one of my top five shows ever. You know, I had the uh, I had the luck of getting to work with Dulé Hill on uh, Psych for four seasons. And it's all I ever wanted to talk to him about was just West Wing. He's like, does this line work? I was like, if those white supremacists wanted to kill you, why didn't they just come to your house? Like, why would they shoot the president? (laughs) And he's just (laughs) so uh, I was just like, West Wing, and um, yeah, so uh, I, I still watch it. I still binge it. Like, I think. The day it went from Netflix to HBO Max, I like tweeted something about it. I was like, listen, yep, everybody, yep, yep. if if you don't have HBO Max, it's your last day to watch a ton <laughs> of West Wing. And they actually even aired a few episodes on TNT around election time. You know, they did that big reunion yes, uh, yes. thing for HBO Max. So they actually even aired a few of the election mm-hmm. episodes on TNT. And it was just a great joy to watch West Wing on television again. It's so funny because, like, um, so for for the pilot, um, I spoke with Alan Suppenwall and Emily Vanderwerf about the pilot, and uh, it's interesting how there was a time when there were so many different ways to catch up on a show. Yeah. None of which were, I mean, I guess you had your your box sets, which was where a lot of shows that was sort of the the original binge, right? Where mm-hmm. you know you could buy a box set, you could watch a whole thing and catch up before the show or or what have you. Um, and and then syndication, as you mentioned with Bravo, I mean, syndication is has always been the sort of golden goose of broadcast television. The idea of making enough episodes of a thing that it can syndicate on another network mm-hmm. and become another revenue stream. Syndication now is essentially only international for the most part. Yeah. Now with streaming and what have you, a lot of these, you know, your TNTs, your TBSs, your what have yous, um, still exist. Um, and it's funny that you bring up, you know, TNT is now Warner Media and it's all it's all kind of yeah. mixed in and whatnot. But um, 
But I remember when Bravo was airing them here, uh, re-airing them. I want to say it was in sort of like the mid-2000s, I want to say, like 2005, 2006, if that makes – I don't know if that jives that, with your timeline. but That makes sense to me because I moved out here in 2003 or 2004. So anyway, that makes so, sense, yeah. And I was an unemployed writer, so I was watching it. <laughs> Sure. The, the great but thing there's about something the, lovely about it on TV. Like commercial yeah. breaks weirdly feel nice That's w- right. once in a while. I don't know. Yeah. The fun thing about it when it aired on Bravo is before it went to commercial, they would give you these little presidential factoids too, you know, just like little <laughs> facts about presidents. I, the one I remember was LBJ was talking about how unpopular he was that if he went out and walked on water, the press would write, President can't swim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and sounds like something, by the way, that would be on the West Wing. Uh, yeah. it's, it, it is. So I want to kind of talk about the show because I do think that, and I'm, I'm, I, this is the second episode that we've done. Um, I'm excited to do these. Essentially, it's probably going to end up being about 10, maybe 12 episodes, give or take, if I'm able to get some, some special guests here or there. But um, not to say that you're not special on the pod. Oh, but, I, I, but I do think that this show... You know, in in a in a, in a post Donald Trump world, this show feels quaint now. Yeah, I mean, it might have even felt quaint, quite frankly, to people within the Beltway back at the back in the day. Right. But now you watch it as comfort food, right? Like now mm-hmm. it's this bomb against what has become of the political arena in this country. Um, and for some people, that's lovely. And for mm-hmm. other people, that feels naive and frustrating and people can't really get on board and it feels idealistic and what have you. So I guess my question to you is, where do you fall on that spectrum? Do you? There's also the TV writer component of it too, yeah. right? Which is, as I'm sure I do, mm-hmm. you, watch it, you watch stuff and be like, well, okay, I don't know if they handled that plot line as well as they could have or if this was sure. clunky. So like you're looking at it through a bunch of different lenses. So how does it hold up to you? Uh, it holds up great to me. I feel like Sorkin's writing is like poetry. So I, I like it, it stands up for, for me. Uh, I, I wish we lived in a world where the people working in the white house were as noble and as great as this, you know, I've worked with West wing writers later and they always said Sorkin always referred to it as the Knights, the uh, King Arthur's Knights round table. Oh, so that they were all there to do the right thing. And I, yeah. I would have loved that. I knew in my head that, people probably aren't like this in the White House, that they're a little more political, a little more self-absorbed, trying to make sure that uh, their reputations are intact. Uh, But, uh, you know, I love it. I still watch it. I still binge it. Um, uh, Sometimes when I don't know what to write next, it's one of my go-to shows. It's one of the shows I might put on in the background if I am writing something. It's also the reason... Uh, I had a little trouble getting into shows like Scandal and House of Cards because those shows probably showed what it's like in the White House more realistically, where everyone's a little more like mercenary. But I was like, oh, but but what about Josh and Toby? <laughs> like, right, right. You know, what about the um, that 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 feeling that they these people would march into fire for each other? Mm-hmm. It's funny. I always I'm probably the only person that would say this. That to me, West Wing is very much like a Star Trek show. It's That's a, interesting. It's about a captain and their crew, and they face insurmountable obstacles with teamwork and optimism. I mean, that's the West Wing and that's Star Trek. That's really, that is really interesting. I've never really thought about it that way, but that's, you know, as I'm sure you know, the the gestation of this show being what it was, the casting of the show being what it was, um, it was an evolving animal as is 
as you know, any other television show, right? Which is yeah. you see things that happen, certain cast members pop, other cast members perhaps don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people go to Mandyville. Uh, right. It's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you obviously perhaps know that the show wasn't really supposed to be Martin Sheen's show. He wasn't really supposed to be the captain in the way that he ultimately became. Right. I can't even wrap my head around the idea of this show not having him at the tiller. Yeah. Um, but 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 that's a completely apt way of looking at it, especially, you know, those those uh, Oval Office scenes feel like the bridge of yeah. the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have that, that, that feeling that, that I think is really um, satisfying in a way that I never really made that connection. I think that's really interesting. I, I think that also, you know, um, people have talked about sort of that the idealism of this show kind of... Um, I don't know what the best way to put it, but essentially rotted the brains of Americans <laughs> in terms of what they expect from the political system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's not the show's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's more indicative of uh, of perhaps the political spectrum that we live in today. But, you know, do you find yourself just sort of, is it is it a show that allows you to kind of just, I don't know, soak it up, wrap yourself in it like a warm blanket and not really think about the political, you know, strife that, that this country, unfortunately, is is a, is a part of? It's hard not to watch the show and just be like, I wish people behaved like that in the real world. It's hard, right, right, right. you know, like even with an episode of like the Stackhouse filibuster, yes, where yes. they help that poor old man who's like <laughs> doing this filibuster because he need, he wants his kid to have medicine, basically. And like Bartlett says, screw the print deadline or something. I like, screw the press deadline. Let's help this old curmudgeon. Yeah. Like, I don't think I don't think anyone in the White House would do that. Uh, I will also yeah. say, I don't think any shows influenced my political beliefs more yeah. uh than yeah. the west wing uh it's either that or star trek the next generation and uh but you know but west wing dealt with everything you know head on where star trek's an allegory for everything and, sure you know i i don't think i even valued voting that much until i think i always voted but i don't think i valued voting as much until i became a giant fan of the show like even like you know here in california on election day, we have to vote for like 20 props yeah. sometimes, 20 yeah. propositions. I do my homework now. I was like, Josh, Josh Lyman is counting on me. I have to I like, think that's great. I yeah. mean, isn't that what you would want a show to do, right? I, I think mean, so. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think uh, a show that can make someone do that is a really powerful show. I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I am. Um, I'm going to give a, a quick synopsis of the episode for the people that have not, uh, or just to sort of reacquaint people with it. Sam jeopardizes his political future when he decides to pursue a relationship with the prostitute whom he met recently. CJ uh, arbitrates a disagreement between the president and the vice president. Mandy is hired as the West Wing's political consultant despite Josh's objections. Bartlett connects with his new physician, Captain Morris Tolliver. Um, uh, whose first child was born 10 days prior. The episode ends with Leo informing the president that Tolliver died while en route to a teaching hospital in Jordan when Syrian forces shot down his military aircraft on the orders of the Syrian Defense Ministry, killing all on board. Uh, it should be noted that the episode title, which is, as I mentioned, post hoc ergo propter hoc, refers to a logical fallacy that roughly translates to after this, therefore, because of this. Uh, it aired on September 29th, 1999. It was written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Tommy Schlamme. Uh, just shy of 14 million viewers turned into this episode. Um, I, I want to kind of, uh, le- I want to just kind of go um, 
headfirst into my least favorite storyline, um, just because I figure um, let's just tear off the bandaid and 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 go for it. Um, the the Sam Seaborn storyline in this episode does not thrill me. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, Anupam, but uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it's in this. Oh no! Keep going. No, please. please. No, I can't lie. It feels a little bit like a network note where someone is saying we need a little more sexiness and we need a scandal and we can't do a show about the White House without a scandal. And it is sadly, even though I I really enjoy this episode, it relies heavily on two stories in the scope of the West Wing that are my least favorite stories. One of which obviously is uh, Sam and Lori. Um, it, It when you go back and watch the first season. It does feel like it sticks out like a sore thumb in comparison to the stories they go on to tell in seasons two, three, and four. Uh, Yeah. It's just, you know, it's not my favorite story. Um, I think it's typical. I think Sam Seaborn is supposed to be sort of a cipher for Aaron Sorkin. uh, Or George Stephanopoulos, depending on how you look. Right. I think both of them. (laughs) But again, he's like, he's like a writer who's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And he and he wants to help this person. And it was, I mean, it's well written, it's well shot, it's well directed. Everything about it is good. It just doesn't. And having seen seven seasons of the show, it doesn't feel like the show. It doesn't, and I, I agree with you. You know, similarly to the pilot, maybe maybe the pilot is more exacerbated as as you know. You know, you shoot a pilot six months yeah. before you actually shoot a second episode, and they often feel very disconnected from one another, uh, especially mm-hmm. in broadcast. And and the voice of the show um, obviously has significantly changed between episode one and two. Uh, the pilot is very Sam. This is Sam's show, and the show is about yeah. Rob Lowe, and he works at the White House. And literally between episode one and two you're like oh there's a massive shift and now it feels yeah. like it's it's the sam seaborn show and the president show and then slowly yeah. but surely sam is relegated even more to being part right. of the uh, ensemble mm-hmm. um you know to your point i agree with you you know it, it should be said that this show premieres in september of 1999 um in january of 1999 president clinton is uh is um my god what's the word the the thing that he was given he wasn't he obviously or- wasn't Censured. He was censured, in right? House, I think. Right. He was impeached. He was convicted in the House. House. He was not pa- in the Senate, and right. and he was censured after that, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, so. <clears throat> so all of this happens at the top of 1999. So the hope being that by the end of 1999, everyone had quote unquote moved on from this. Um, <laughs> obviously, that wasn't the case, and. <laughs> I can't help but agree with you that you can't help but feel like perhaps the network was like, can we get a little bit of that? Yeah. That kind of, you know, scandalous stuff that was going on in the white house to get people to perhaps tune in. Um, It just, it's, it's not a great look for the show and it's a bad look for Sam as a character. It -hmm. doesn't make him look good. It makes him look moralistic in a way that's not particularly endearing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also just like, the the hooker that wants to be a lawyer that he's trying to save like what 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 are we doing here exactly it was it was very odd. strange i thought it was strange that she wanted to be a lawyer like i thought yeah. that well you're breaking the law every day to be a lawyer if she if she'd wanted to be a doctor or yep. uh mba or something like that i'd be like all right i get it but it was just strange i was like you're doing the one thing that could prevent you from getting into <laughs> law school or getting you know getting assigned yes. to the bar and yeah. it was just like the one thing i will say that's interesting sure. about it is uh months ago i attended a wga panel 
uh, with sex workers on it, on uh, how sex workers wanted to be depicted more accurately uh, on television. Because there's a lot of this like, oh, I was molested by my uncle or something like that. And that's why I do this now, which isn't really true. A lot of the sex workers were there like, well, it's good money. And, you know, some of them just enjoy sex. And Lori is a prototype for that. I think like she says to him, like, I wasn't, I wasn't abused as a kid. I like what I do, yep. you know? So like, it feels like Sorkin's a little bit ahead of the curve, at least uh, with that character, you know, in depicting sex workers. I don't disagree with you. And, and, and in fact, part of the, the issue isn't really in the words <laughs> that come out of Lori's mouth. Like Lori's character is written relatively well, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that it all falls on deaf ears to, yeah. to Sam's character. It, yeah. None of it registers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it also feels a little bit like, I know that there was pushback from Rob Lowe, who you know, personally had a sex scandal in his own life and was not mm-hmm. interested particularly in exploring this on television. So it does feel a little bit like, and I don't know how much legitimacy there is to Rob Lowe saying, I don't want to do these things, let's do these things. But it, it does feel like the <clears> character... Um, is is kind of wishy-washy and mushy and isn't really yeah. fully formed right uh in the way that he would become down the mm-hmm. road um so it's it's not a great storyline it keeps on fucking going too like it's it's unfortunately a good chunk of these first 10 episodes is yeah. is Roblo dealing with this with this prostitute storyline um but but moving past that um let's sort of go into the CJ thing which is interesting because the CJ thing Weirdly comes back around in season five, which you yeah. might very well remember, sure. um, where where it's revealed that I guess that Hoynes and her had a sexual relationship during the campaign. During the campaign. I think we're to believe maybe it was just one night. I'm, I'm okay. not sure if it was more than one night. Because uh, sure. CJ even says, I wouldn't have gone into his room that night or something like that. Right. But there's no sense of it here, obviously, when you're... At all. When, when, yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, which would lead one to believe that it was retcon. That's right. <laughs> but, I mean, all, season five was also John Wells was the showrunner, I believe. Yeah. Sorkin had left at the end of season four, and I think John right. Wells wanted to like throw, stir yeah, stir things up a little and, and just sort of shock the audience a little more than Sorkin did. Sorkin was about the debate, I believe. Correct. His, his, he didn't even care who won the debate. He didn't even care, you know, uh, he just wanted to weigh both sides of a debate. And, you know, he, I don't think they ever say Sam Seaborn lost his election on screen when he runs for office. Correct. But I think John Wells, when he takes over, he wants like, oh, people are getting blown up in Gaza or, or you know, CJ yeah. slept with, you know, um, we're going to have Glenn Close as the Supreme Court <laughs> Justice, you know, stuff like you know, I, I I have to be completely honest. I watched um, seasons two to the end during the the election year slash pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and I had never really watched closely seasons five and six. If I'm being honest, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people, you know, they dump on season five because it was the first season without Sorkin. It was it was the season that was certainly the rockiest of yeah. its run, mm-hmm. but it's got a lot of good stuff in there. It's got a sure. lot of really interesting stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more about the holding it up against the previous four seasons that makes it look like quote unquote, not as good or whatever the case might be. Right. Um, this, this reveal, if you will, that Hoynes and CJ had a moment together during the, uh, during the campaign um, and that it might've created some sort of friction between the two of them mm-hmm. um, is odd. If you ask me, um, it, it feels a little bit shoehorned in there. Mm-hmm. Um, what I appreciated about the way that it's depicted in this episode is more about 
truthfully, it's more about gender roles, right? It feels a little mm-hmm. bit more like Hoynes kind of bigfooting her a little yeah. bit and saying like, know your role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Leo smacking him down and saying, know your fucking role. I appreciated that it was more about... I don't want to say a battle of wits, but it was more about a power struggle yeah. than it was about uh, Hoynes and her having a pass or something like that. Yeah, Hoynes just hated whenever the president's office tried to direct him to do anything. And that's why he's <laughs> At kind any point of in the <laughs> very curt with uh, CJ yes. in that scene. Uh, what's what's kind of interesting in, in the, the CJ part of it is we see a scene later. We meet Hoynes for the first time in this episode, but they don't tell us he's from Texas. They just, you can tell he's like a Southern Democrat, but then she's doing this whole thing with Texas and Bartlett about how your jokes made us lose Texas. Texas. But the thing is you learn later, his primary opponent was Hoynes. So I'm like, they didn't lose Texas because of a joke. They lost because they were running against a Texan probably. And then he says we lost in the general election. I'm like, but the reason you put a yeah, the reason you put a Texan on the ticket is to win Texas. Yeah, so like uh, they probably wouldn't win it, but they get close. Yeah, like they wouldn't have right. got thumped in Texas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I I thought that too, which I think is this. So this is one of those things where, and I'm sure you've read this about Aaron Sorkin, which is mm-hmm. that he doesn't really get into the weeds on yeah. like continuity that, and backstory i don't think he cares a ton about backstory it's just not that interesting to him he, yeah. he's more interested in the now and right. what can i get it what juice can i get out of this moment and mm-hmm. and because of that i think it's worth unpacking for a second here hoynes as a series character mm-hmm. is a skeleton key for plot like yeah. i've never fucking <laughs> seen right. he can be wildly but- erratic sometimes with his <laughs> With his morals, you know. Well, and it's also just like they use him however they need to. Right. Because they want it's a it's a big chess piece, right? So they, mm-hmm. they move it around whenever they feel like it. Um, and I'll say that it's a testament to Tim Mathis's performance mm-hmm. that it all feels palatable, even yeah. though I'm just like, wait a second. So like with Life on Mars, for instance, in season four, where you're like, wait, yeah. so Hoynes did what with <laughs> yeah. whom to right. do what in order to make sure that Hoynes is taken off the board so yeah. that there isn't a vice president there so That's that right. John Goodman can be put into play. Like mm-hmm. the, the, I understand the mechanics of it, but it does make you have to sort of throw Hoynes character to the fucking yeah. wind. Yeah. Sometimes it. he's this like deeply moral noble guy. And other times yeah. he's like a little bit of a villain for our characters. Like for five sure. votes down, like the episode five votes down. He yeah. does a great thing that helps the white house, but he takes all the credit, you know? Right. And, and then uh, even in, in season seven, when, you know, you have the election and all that, Hoynes is a part of that. And yeah. then when they need to yank Hoynes out, they just yeah. blow him up again. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, I was lucky enough to have Tim Matheson direct something I wrote once. Oh, that's cool. So I got to hang out with him for a little bit. And he just, he loved, he loved the I'm West sure. Wing, you know. And to his credit, there are two episodes, I believe, that he appears in just in the background. He doesn't speak. It's the, the debate episode where mm-hmm. Bartlett's going to debate uh, Richie. And then, uh, obviously, I think a lot of cast members came back for the episode that honored sure. John Spencer after passing. Sure. But normally an actor of his stature doesn't just stand in the background without <laughs> without lines. Yeah, you know? he, he's great. I, I really, you know, Hoynes is one of those characters that I feel like everyone has an affinity for 
Um, even though he's sort of a curmudgeon and he's right. and and he is a stick in the mud, but I think that's why people like him. But then they also they also soften him with Leo when his mm-hmm. alcoholism comes into play. Right. Even though Bartlett makes fun of him and he's like, "What do you consider alcoholism?" <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, it hasn't going? had a drink since he was like twenty two. College. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, let's move on f- to the to the Mandy part of this episode. Everyone's right. favorite character. Yes. Um, you know, I I. I, I I'm watching Mandy this time through a different lens because I tried to sort of put a hat on this time of like, what was the goal for Mandy? Like, why was she on the show and what were the hopes for her? Mm -hmm. Um, It's clear that at least from 30,000 feet that, that Josh and Mandy were the, 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 the romance we were supposed to be rooting for. Um, They're exes. They're being brought together again. It's the water and oil thing. They'd have lots of witty banter and then eventually they'd fall into bed together and they'd get Mm -hmm. back and whatever it is like that. That seems like that was sort of the plan, Um, which is blown up almost immediately by Janelle Maloney, who is tremendous. Um, And from the jump in this episode, you're just like, (laughs) Mandy never stood a chance. Yeah. It's like even the opening of the episode is Mandy centered and it just feels like an aberration compared to the rest of the show in season two, in the second episode, you don't know what the show is yet, but like we're just watching it now. It's like, wow, we're like outside the West wing for so long. And she's like driving up on a sidewalk and you know, like yelling at her boyfriend who never appears again. Right. And they don't even talk about them being a couple uh, since the pilot then they're just like, she loses her job and I, again, I have to say, it's the same thing with that CJ Texan thing. Like, it, may, it makes me question things when uh, Mandy thinks she can get a sitting president, can, can lose the nomination. Like, even just now, like, you know, Trump went into re-election with, like, zero approval rating with everything that had happened. And he still walked away with the nomination, like, without a problem. Yep. And when Bartlett actually gets it, you know, there's a point where he wants to fly to New Hampshire to, like, uh, mm-hmm. to sign some papers and it's just a throwaway thing. He just doesn't go and he gets renominated. So, yeah. and, and that's after people learned he had MS, you know? So I was like, is Mandy really thinking his low yeah. approval rating can really get him unseated and get this guy president? And I was like, that really makes her seem like not a, a be- the best political operative. I literally couldn't agree with you more. The, the first thing I wrote here was it makes no sense for Lloyd Russell to form an exploratory committee. Is he really going to primary the president for the nomination? Right. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's an absurd notion. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I fully agree with you. It doesn't do Mandy any favors. Yeah. Arguably this entire episode doesn't really do Mandy many favors. No, not really. They, so the episode literally opens with Mandy mm-hmm. wearing a bizarro hat um, and playing sort of like punky music. And she's supposed to be this sort of like edgy, spiky sort of like crazy character that's, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, 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 you know, won't sort of bow to anyone's rules or what have you, um, which again, I don't necessarily have a problem with. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But I don't know that Moira Kelly is totally right. Yeah. It never completely fully gels. Um, and, and then on top of it, you're saddled in this episode with essentially two scenes with her and Marion Dungey yeah. um, uh, of Alias fame and of, of, yeah. Vera, of, of, of a million other television shows um, who plays Daisy, Daisy, her assistant. And it's the only time you ever see her. Ever see her again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and part of that, because I honestly have to wonder when the writing's on the wall for Mandy. Like when mm-hmm. as, a, as a writer's room, do people yeah. start to watch stuff and go like, this Mandy thing is just not going to yeah. Happens. It's not working. Um, but all that being said, you're, you're you're kind of saddled with these two scenes at her office with Daisy talking about things that, quite frankly, feel completely. Ex- you said it yourself mm-hmm. that feel peripheral to the show that we're supposed to be paying attention to, which is actually in the West Wing. Yeah. Um, so it is a bummer. And then on top of it all, it's kind of baked into this sort of playful jabbing thing with Josh, which is everyone kind of knows that it's a foregone conclusion that Mandy's probably going to get this internal job. Yeah. Um, they all kind of band up against him. He mm-hmm. goes to tell Mandy at the end of the episode that they're going to hire her. Um, they honestly feel like brother and sister. Yeah, they don't... There's not a lot of romantic fireworks there. I, I think it, there was a point where the writers would watch dailies or watch at cuts and say, be like, oh, him and Donna are like magic together. And in a way that Maura Kelly uh, and Josh aren't. It kills me to say this because I love the movie The Cutting Edge, which is like a big sure, she's great Kelly movie. movie. Yeah. She's okay. great in it because she's yeah. supposed to be playing like an ice queen, which yeah. sadly comes through a little bit here too. By the way, just like, you know, I love a great movie tagline. I think Cutting Edge is something like the ultimate love skate relationship. <laughs> Which is really, I think it's that or love is the best icebreaker. <laughs> so, uh, fantastic. So it's, fantastic. A, it's nothing against Moira Kelly. It's just yeah. the Mandy character never really fit in. I think she was also a little bit hamstrung moving forward because everyone else wanted to do the right thing and she always wanted to do the smart thing politically. Yep. You know, yep. so it was hard to root for her side of any argument because she was always like, but this will lose us voters. This will lose us voters versus. Mm-hmm. Should we do what's right? I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I actually think that to your point, um, Mandy's uh, job is not replaced <laughs> right. uh, for good reason, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, forget about Mandy as a character being removed from the show. The role that she filled is right. not filled. Yeah, um, because director. I think to your point, it's 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 antagonistic in a way mm-hmm. that doesn't help them story wise. Right. It just makes them look either weak. Mm-hmm. Or politically foolish, right. which doesn't help. And they found um, they found a way to do it a little bit with Marley Matlin's character. I yes, think she yes. she fills that hole a yes. little bit, but she's a pollster and not a media director. And again, she was the same way. Like I remember an episode where their rhetoric on guns isn't landing, and Josh says, "Well, we need to cut it down." And she's like, "No, no, no, you got to turn it up. You're not convincing yeah. them. That's the mm-hmm. problem." So she was still had that Bartlett nobility. Mm-hmm that uh, Maura Kelly didn't really have. I, I feel like the only real story with uh, Mandy that I was like, oh, this is really good is when she convinces the president to send a negotiator into a difficult situation yeah. yes. and the negotiator ended up getting shot. Like that was like, though I was like, oh, that's a good Moira, good Mandy story. But those no, were I, I agree because it felt like, I think that 
what what speaks well about that storyline is that Mandy speaks in generals, right? Like mm-hmm. it all just feels like intangible. And then all of a sudden a life was lost. There's a tactile yeah. consequence to her actions, um, which is, which is really nice. I can't remember what episode that's in, but I'm, I'm sure I'll, uh, it's in one of these, but um Again, I you know this isn't I, I'm I'm not throwing shade at at, at Moira Kelly or or quite frankly mm-hmm. the the goals of Mandy's character, mm-hmm. um, but you know and a lot a lot has been made of of the Josh and Donna relationship because you know we obviously now there's a power dynamic between Josh and and an assistant and the idea of of romantic entanglements in the office is obviously frowned upon and and mm-hmm. um and and the gender dynamics of you know of of the power that he has over her isn't great mm-hmm. but if if you can sort of see past that and just see two people they have tremendous chemistry they have really wonderful banter um in this episode not so much in the pilot because i do get the impression that Janelle just didn't know whether or not she had another episode, let alone sure. whether or not, you know. Yeah. This episode, Donna's voice is just crystal clear. Like, you know mm-hmm. exactly who this person is. And their dynamics, which are, are essentially just a comedic runner, which is that she, mm-hmm. keeps, she keeps putting Josh's money into bad sports yeah. bets, <laughs> right. um, which is really funny and great. I mean, mm-hmm. the joke where he's like, can, can you put my money on Yeshiva University versus <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's... There, the dynamic that's set up there is the, um, as the West Wing Weekly podcast did b- brilliantly, the uh, Teladonna scene where Donna is used as a as a foil sure. for Josh to be able to explain to the audience a thing that's going on, which doesn't happen in this episode, but right. feels like we're on the it way towards that sort of happening. The funny thing um, is, as the show goes on, she becomes as smart as everyone else in the correct. building. So correct. they do this thing where he explains stuff to her, and then she like finishes his sentences. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. She's like, exactly. So I'm like, why are you telling her? It's like I always call that character the Carter, the Cart, like ER yes, is yes, Carter, yes, yes, the yes. pilot of ER is e. Carter's yes. first day. So mm-hmm. Benton has to explain every little thing. To mm-hmm. him. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, Donna is the audience for, for trickier political stuff that needs to be explained. Um, so uh, the other the other storyline that that is sort of the the most emotional crux of the episode is Bartlett's relationship with Captain Morris Tolliver, who mm-hmm. has been his physician for the past couple of weeks, it seems, or months. Um, and at the beginning of the episode, Leo tells him that uh, the president would like him to be his full-time physician um and uh it's a really nice scene there's a picture of his wife and his newborn daughter um and i i have to say that generally speaking and i'm sure you feel the same way the writing is on the wall this person's not going to live when they're showing the picture when even margaret sees the picture i was like ooh. This is going to end well. It's it's bad. The guy might as well be wearing a red shirt. Like, it right. really does feel yeah. like he's uh, got a bullseye on him. But this is Landingham going to buy her first car ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is Landingham. Rest in peace. But, <laughs> but I do think that it's a testament to this show that essentially he has one scene with Bartlett where he does a physical exam. Um, Bartlett sees the picture, obviously. They have a nice moment. They have a good banter. Tolliver doesn't kind of, like, he kind of gives it as well as he takes it. And you Mm -hmm. can see why these two have a nice relationship. Um, So the gut punch of the end does work. I mean, I know that it's tropey. I know that it's shitty. I know that we've seen it a million times. But, like, if it works, it works. And it works. 
and Bartlett needs a friend in uniform. Like he's not respected by the military people on the show. So having a man in uniform tell him like, don't worry. Once the chiefs get to know you, they're going to, they're going to like and respect you. I think goes a long way. I think it's a big reason why Bartlett says, I want this guy full time. Absolutely. And it's something that, you know, I've always felt that it really planted a seed for me in Bartlett's mm-hmm. character. So whenever he's in that situation room with the chiefs and, and the military, mm-hmm. there's always a part of me in the back of my head that feels like this guy doesn't totally right. feel right there. Do you know what yeah. I mean? In a good way, not in a mm-hmm. bad way. But it, it, again, it's it, the, the dimensions that it gives the character um, – is is just is really impressive and and now I'll say this in in classic Aaron Sorkin form the end of this episode mm-hmm. <laughs> Bartlett turns to Leo and says I'm not frightened I'm gonna blow them off the face of the earth with the fury of God's own thunder <laughs> yeah it's it was funny to hear that Old Testament God show up in this speech I, I think he's, I, I love that too I mean one of the most interesting things about Bartlett is he's like a progressive Catholic. And so, you know, it doesn't really talk about God and violence <laughs> in the same thing. It kind of reminded me like I'm actually wearing this Kennedy thing for amazing for, in That's honor it, of your yeah. podcast. Yeah. And, but the thing is, a big worry about him was him being Catholic was it gave the Pope an enormous amount of power. Mm-hmm. And so I think Bartlett always tried to play that down a little. But here, hearing him say, I'm going to use God's fury on them, I was like, wow. And so it's going to come out sometimes, you know, it's like if you kill a friend yeah. of his, <laughs> you know, you're in trouble. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because um, Sorkin's talked a lot about how he always sort of saw Bartlett as Kennedy-esque, obviously, with mm-hmm. the Catholicism and 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 the, um, I guess, that region of sort of New England-y right. kind of what have you. Um, but but I got to say, watching it this time, I see a little Biden in him, too. I mean, mm-hmm. Biden, who is an open, uh, very religious person, um, has made it clear that it doesn't affect him and the and the choices that he makes necessarily, um, nor is he, um, you know, trying to indoctrinate people. But um, I just think it's interesting where people draw the line as yeah. to faith, right? Like right, exactly. what faith is a weather vane that we're okay with and what yeah. faith is not. I, exactly. I, I think Leo, when Leo hears that, he's like, that's not the guy I know. <laughs> <It's not laughs> you know, It's a good thing there's no one around to hear this. Right, yeah. right. There is an episode later where he says, can you stop mentioning the Old Testament? It makes people nervous. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, the one, the other true. interesting thing I'll say yeah. about the Mars story, right. and, and I, you tell me your opinion, the pilot was pretty criticized for being very white. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we meet Morris in this episode, and then in the next episode, you meet Charlie and Fitzwallis. So I, I just I wonder, uh, did they just make that character black for that reason, or was he always made black? I mean, it's not great that they kill him at the end. If, if their goal, <laughs> if their goal is to seem like more diverse yeah. to introduce this, I mean, he's a very. I mean, they did a great job making you sympathize with him in a matter of two scenes. You love this guy right away, so you're supposed to feel bad. Uh, you're supposed to feel horrible when he dies. It's not like the old horror movie trope where, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if a black person dies, you know, so they do a good job of all that. But, you know, I was just wondering, is that the reason why this has to be? I, I'm not going to lie. I definitely thought of it. Um, I know that, that and, and Alan Seppenwall brought this up uh, in the pilot because he was at the TCAs um, and, and was uh-huh. like, he got he got dinged pretty hard for that, um, oh. and 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 learned from it, grew from it, decided, you know, figured out ways to 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 deal with it um, properly. I mean, Charlie is one of my favorite characters in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I it it it, it seems like Tolliver being black was was not a yeah. coincidence, right? Um, you know, I I I I do think that it's unfortunate that that he that within one episode we meet this person and he dies. It would mm-hmm. have been nice if he had maybe been given two episodes, if us if we could have been given a little bit more time to to meet this person. Because I'll say that. <clears throat> The next episode, uh, a proportional response, mm-hmm. is about just that, right? Which is how yeah. do we find a way to deal with this properly? Um, because the character doesn't mean as much to us, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that what's weighing on Bartlett feels as substantive as it could have, right? You know, with one more episode, for instance. But mm-hmm. but I hear you. I mean, it, it is it is interesting. I, I also, you know, speaking of the of the Bible stuff at the end, at the beginning of the episode, and obviously we mentioned the title is in Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, CJ, uh, <laughs> Bartlett says to CJ, <laughs> do you know when we lost Texas? And she says, when you learned Latin. Right. Um, and I, I, th- I think that that's, I mean, I think one of the things that this show does incredibly well is finding humor in the differences in this country rather, and, and trying to sort of show the mm-hmm. playfulness and the Venn diagram of all of this. Right. Um, I know the show is dinged for being idealistic and, and what have you, but I do think that Sorkin goes out of his way to try to find levity and mm-hmm. to try to kind of show that we're all in this together, even if it does, you know, sure. seem tough at times. Um, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, I, I will I'm, say I'm, Morris's yeah. death goes across party lines. Like if you're a, conservative watching the show or a liberal watching the show when you hear morris is dead you're like that's bs they got it right something. right totally um we also get to see um the press room as the mm-hmm. standing set that it actually is uh in the pilot there's some weirdo press room we only see it for like a fracture <laughs> but it feels really strange mm-hmm. um which again you know as you very well know you build a lot of standing sets you build a lot of stages this show which has a lot of long takes, goes a lot, you know, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what their sound stages looked like. I imagine they were incredibly intricate and really beautiful. They did a, a phenomenal job of making sure that it feels like a giant maze yeah. of offices. And the press room is one that that they go to an awful lot uh, with CJ's character obviously being as prominent as it is. Um, I, I thought that... Uh, I, I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. As, as a writer, Sam and Toby are writers. Mm-hmm. So the show gets to regularly explore the idea of writing, the mm-hmm. idea of like, and 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 obviously um, <laughs> gives us a real good insight into how Sorkin feels about writing, right. which is that it's a miserable experience. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but I but I appreciate that it's a type of writing that I don't associate as writing, if that makes sense, right? Like yeah. when I sit down to write and when you sit down to write, it's to tell a narrative story, right? Mm-hmm. Speech writing is a different animal entirely. And, and just the idea of communications through a, a, a politician, is a completely different style of writing, one that I don't imagine I'd be very good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate that this show can deal with writer's block and can deal yeah. with like the struggles of being a writer in a way that I had never kind of seen before. Do you find yourself thinking about that through Toby and Sam's character? Definitely. I definitely watch that. And like, there's a great episode where they argue about, argue about whether using a quotation from Chairman Mao, <laughs> you know, like obviously that's not a problem I have when I'm writing, but I, but I love that they, the show takes the time to talk about those things. There's even an episode where Toby's trying to write the inauguration and he need inaugural address and he needs help and he can't ask for it. 
And I'm like, I totally know what that feels like. I totally know what that's like and how uh, Joshua Molina shows up to help him. And he says, you're a good writer. You're just like sort of having a bad day. Like I'm having a, I'm the fresh arm off the bench. That's all. So I feel like there are times in my own writing career where I write something and I'm like, I'm not a, maybe I'm not a bad writer. I just need to like rest my arm <laughs> a little bit. For, for real though. I mean, I yeah. think that I, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't speak for you, but for myself, you know, one of the things that I love about being on a staff is just that, right. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. that the, the, not just the camaraderie, but just the fact that like, you're all working together as a common goal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting other writers to chip in their ideas. That's why, I mean, I don't know if this is, take this for what it's worth, but I feel like so many writers nowadays, even showrunners, I feel like whenever they're given accolades, the first thing they do is say like, it was a team effort and it's all (laughs) of these people. Mm -hmm. Unlike back in the day where it feels like, you know, they just take all the accolades themselves and they just be thrilled. Um, You know, I, I, I think that, I think that's a beautiful thing about writing mm-hmm. television. I, if I, if, if what I've heard about the way Sorkin writes a television show, it's a very different experience. Oh yeah. But, but I, but I think that in general, a writer's room is just such a collaborative, wonderful experience that, that, you know, it only makes us better writers as, yeah. as a group. Um, I think that the, um, I, I wanted to take a second just to talk about the, everyone making fun of Sam for trying to reform Lori takes mm-hmm. the piss out of it a little bit, which makes it a little bit more, a little easier to take. It's, sure. uh, it, it, it's, I appreciated that. Um, the Lisa Edelstein's reaction as Lori to Sam showing up at the table is priceless. She's yeah. a very funny actress and doesn't mm-hmm. do a ton of comedy, right. but when she does, she really nailed it. And I think she did a, a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Sam showing up and blowing up her dinner is completely uncalled for and absolutely absurd. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what he was thinking. And um, um, not smart for the president's speechwriter to like be seeking out a prostitute mm-hmm. and other people at the table. I assume know she's a call girl because she, it seems like she's <laughs> on a date, you know, a paid date. So like someone there, I don't understand why her escort is not the person she's dating. Isn't like calling the Washington times or something. Well, there's uh, also it's, something It's one of my favorite line readings in the episode is when Sam tells John, Josh about Lori and says she's really great. Like I think you'd see that she's really smart. He's like, you have to promise me I'll never beat this person. <laughs> That's right. My favorite is like when he's like, I slept with her accidentally, and Toby's like, What what did you trip or something? You know. Might be the best line of the episode for it's, me. It's it's a it is a great line. Uh yeah, I mean, listen, it, it's it's one of those episodes where and I, I kind of want to talk to you just for a quick second about episode twos. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Episode twos, and we are well acquainted with episode twos, having done mm-hmm. season one of, of Station 19 as well. Episode twos are very, very hard. Very hard. Um, especially in broadcast because mm-hmm. you're essentially forced to repilot your show. Yeah. Um, this show is kind of a misnomer in the sense mm-hmm. that it does not have a premise pilot. Mm-hmm. It throws you in the deep end and says, like, this is this is the situation. The stakes are a character that you don't even know is going to get fired potentially by the end of the episode. And you should be you should feel something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the show really just kind of says sink or swim. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily need to repilot in this episode. Mm-hmm. But because of what I can only assume are the test audiences, the various things that came in, Bartlett is obviously a main character now in the show coming into episode two. So it does feel kind of repilot mm-hmm. How did you feel about it in terms of like episode twos that you've seen, which tend to be a little bit repilot So even though it relies heavily on two stories I don't love, which is Sam and Laurie and Mandy, uh, I think it's a very good 
episode two, I think they really go out of their way to make it seem like this show is about a day in the life. Like you'll notice there's not a giant crisis in it until the very end. Like I feel like all of the stories kind of simmer and then the Mara story boils over for the third episode. So like they're dealing with uh, a tense quote from Hoynes or something like that. Uh, so I thought it was very good, and uh, I feel like you have to give credit to Sorkin or Wells or whoever was behind this. I feel like West Wing, and along with ER, I would say this about ER too, is that they came out as like fully formed shows. Yep. It feels like they know the show they're making. They know who the characters are. They might not know their backstories, but it feels like Sorkin at least knows their voices mostly. Mm-hmm. And there's no like trying to go backwards and trying to retrofit something that mm-hmm. maybe you did in the pilot. I thought that you know, the show kind of sticks to the, its formula really well for season one. And I'm lucky I've only had to uh, write the second episode of a show once. And it is very difficult because you have a fraction of the money and a fraction yeah. of the time. You know, you might work on a pilot for like a year, you know, yeah. and yeah. then this one might have to be written in 12 days. <laughs> so <laughs> as far as second episodes go, I think it's I think it's really good. Yeah, I think it's I, I tend to agree with you. I think that that by and large, this was one of those episodes that. Um, that kind of it's it's a very solid B plus episode that kind of knows what it has to do. It sticks to the landing for the most part, um, and 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 I appreciated the fact that it didn't sort of hold your hand. I mm-hmm. mean, a lot of episode twos tend to sort of readminister all that stuff. Now, you just mentioned it earlier and a, a second ago, and I think it's worth noting this show is not really about the personal lives of these characters. Right. So the fact that that isn't a weight on the shoulders of Sorkin is Mm -hmm. a gift in and of itself, right? Like he doesn't need to reestablish for you all of the interpersonal relationships for episode Mm -hmm. two that a lot of shows do. Again, a thing that ER didn't do, but you know, wasn't about as much the personal relationships as it was about the ER and about the various things that are going on in the ER. Um, It's when you get into that soapiness and it's, Mm -hmm. which again, I don't say it negatively, but like certain shows, you have to reestablish all those mm-hmm. soapy dynamics a second time around, and that can eat up a lot of time. But the, the only thing um, in it that felt repiloty to me yeah. is, and it's a little creaky, I think, when you watch it today, when Mandy's going off on Lloyd and a random pedestrian is like, "Are you okay?" And she's like, "No, I quit my job. I moved here to get this guy elected president." He's like trying to remind. That felt like a network note. Like, can you remind mm-hmm. the audience why she's so why she's so mad? Yes. You know? Yes. I think this episode is also the the first time we see Bartlett put on his jacket, which he does in in a in in his crazy way. His way, yeah. He has some shoulder injury, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess Martin Sheen has a shoulder injury, so that's how Martin Sheen puts on a blazer. (laughs) That's how that's how Bartlett does it. It might have been like how he was delivered as a baby. I think. Really, I think so. Yeah, that they had to use forceps on his shoulder or something, and and it, it screwed it up. Like That's that. really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, there was something that I talked about with Alan um, and Emily in the first episode. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it as well, because mm-hmm. this is a pretty light Toby episode. There isn't really a lot going on with Toby in this episode. Right. Um, but uh, Eugene Levy was the number two choice to play Toby Ziegler, mm-hmm. um, which is a very different thing. It's a very yeah. different energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine would have had effects on other characters because I do think that Toby's voice and Toby's sort of curmudgeonly what have you was going to be in the show in some form or another. Um, You know, have you, you know, Alan Aldo was up for, for Martin Sheen's role as was Sidney Poitier and uh, Jason Robarb. So like there were, there were people that were Mm -hmm. sort of talked about, but I mean, do you have a character that you 
identify with the most? A character that you sort of a favorite, if you will, even though you know, take that for what it's worth. Yeah, they're all. I mean, all the characters are great, but I think I'm a Toby Toby person. I think Toby's the most interesting character because he's one. He's not afraid to stab you in the front. He doesn't stab people in the sure, back, sure, which is sure. I feel like more of a Washington D.C. Yeah. thing. But also because any of his frustrations and anger with the president are because he holds the president in such high esteem. Yeah. It's like anytime the president lets him down, it's because I've put you on this pedestal. And yeah. when you don't make a comment on needle exchange, I feel like you're not living up to your potential. And that disappoints yeah. me. And I, I feel like that's like the great thing about Toby's character is just like, he kind of in a weird way is almost cult-like with Bartlett, you know, mm-hmm. especially you really see it when um, Josh Molina's character, Will Bailey wants to leave and go work for the vice president. Mm-hmm. He's like, you don't leave this job. We work for yeah. Bartlett. You know, like I just, I love that element about him that he's kind of curmudgeon. He seems like he is like gruff, but deep, deep down, it's like, he kind of has this love and devotion for the president. That's like, mm-hmm. I think is more than any other character on the show, even Leo. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that the dynamics between Bartlett and Toby are are the most fascinating, um, especially when the shit hits the fan on the MS stuff, um, especially when uh, Bartlett starts to get inside his head and starts mm-hmm. to need therapy. Um, you know, they come from such drastically different upbringings. Yeah. Um, and And that culture clash is why they love each other as much as they do. I think part of why they love each other as much as they do. But, you know, the, the one of the best episodes of the show is 16 people. Uh, 17 people? 17 I think people? it's 17 17, people. yeah, 17 people. Mm-hmm. Where, um, you know, Bartlett withheld this information mm-hmm. and he tells Toby, and Toby's the most hurt. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, Toby's the one who's the mm-hmm. most sort of like, how dare you keep this from me? Right. He, he, you know, he's very sanctimonious about it and says it's about the whole country mm-hmm. but really it's just about him and, exactly. and how dare you keep this from me um it's a really beautiful relationship and it's why i think so many people including richard schiff were so bummed with the way that they resolved yeah. the toby character at the end of the mm-hmm. series um because it did feel like a weird sort of it, it, it didn't feel like it did justice to that relationship in yeah the way it, it could have Based on like what I've said, like that devotion is for the president. I don't really believe he'd go behind his back and do that. But I have a theory, a West Wing theory, which is I'm sure widely debunked, but (laughs) is that somebody had to tell Toby about the vital information. I think it was Bartlett. I think it was Bartlett. I think Bartlett gave him the information knowing this. hmm. That's right. And you'll notice that when he finally quits to Bartlett in that whole story, they're not alone. There's a third person there, which explains why they would have to keep this charade going. But I, I appreciate I, I, that. that. That's cool. I like that theory. <laughs> I wish that theory was uh, was you know unpacked on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they got an eighth season, they would have uh, they would have done. That. I mean, I this. So I have two last questions for you, and then I'll let you mm-hmm. go. The first is, um, uh, what are your thoughts on a revival or some sort of a? Because there's a part of me that's like the idea of a limited. On like HBO Max, that's mm-hmm. like, you know, five, six, eight episodes, something like that, where it's like the team gets back together to help Charlie get a Senate seat or something along those right. lines mm-hmm. is something that I could kind of get behind. Yeah. Um, now, again, you know, do I need it? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, am I a little bummed that that Aaron Sorkin wasn't the one to kind of, you know, walk off the field? Right. It would have been nice, mm-hmm. um, but what what are your thoughts on that? Are you are you satisfied with the way the show resolved itself? Is that, I, is I'm that okay for you? Yeah, I'm I'm fine with the way the show ended. You know, uh, my understanding is actually Alan Alda was supposed to win the mm-hmm. election, 
But uh, because sadly John Spencer passed away, they couldn't have him pass away and lose the election. So they had to That's change. Correct. Um, so, uh, you know, I was happy how it ended. It was great to see in the final season, guys like Sam Seaborn and Ainsley come back mm-hmm. uh, to the white house and stuff. So, you know, I, I like the ending mostly like it's not probably the episode tomorrow probably isn't my favorite series finale just because the circumstances of the show is I wanted to spend more time with Bartlett, you know, but the, the finale has a very clear message that it's out with the old in with the new. That's yeah. how this job works, which they did a very good job of. Um, I maybe I, a revival, you know, if Sorkin was writing it, I would, I would yeah. definitely watch it if they made it, but I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure I need it. Like, you know, you know it's, it's funny. I, I, um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, they did this, uh, live, sort of rendition of uh, mm-hmm. Hartfield's Landing for HBO Max uh, to get people out to vote during the election. Mm-hmm. Um, it was beautifully, I thought it was beautifully rendered. I thought that Tommy Shlami, who directed it and, you know, black and white, and they got mm-hmm. uh, Sterling K. Brown to, to, to play John Spencer's role. Um, it, was, it was a really beautiful thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it was nice to see them all together again. Um, yeah. They all look great. I kind mm-hmm. of... I don't know. I, I would be for it. More for it than, for instance, a Friends revival. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'll watch this reunion thing that's airing at the end of the month and all that. But I, I, I just, I guess my point is, I know that, that, that this industry has weaponized nostalgia. I know mm-hmm. that that is the thing now, which is how do we get people to, you know, we've got a Sex and the City thing coming, you know, we've got a mm-hmm. Sopranos movie coming at the, at the end of the year. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of... I think it really all comes down to if Aaron Sorkin decided that he wanted to do it and he could get all the players together and they could do mm-hmm. a handful of episodes or whatever, a la Gilmore Girls, where he gets to wrap it up himself. Mm-hmm. I'd be for it. I'd watch it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know I, if I, I need mean, it, but you know. I would definitely watch it if they made it, but yeah, I'm not sure. I kind of wanted to, there's a part of me that's afraid it'll be bad. <laughs> you know? And it's yes, like, yes, I don't yes. want anything to like taint my opinion of, it, yeah. of West Wing. You know. For sure. So that, that leads me to my last question, which is um, favorite episode. Do you have a favorite episode? Do you have one that, that you know, a favorite? Is there something that you would point to? It's one of two. It's funny when you ask like, that question. There's one of two. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is one you already mentioned, which is 17 people. And the other is an episode called Stirred, uh, mm-hmm. which is about mm-hmm. replacing Hoynes on the ticket, which is a fantastic is. episode. Yeah. But I'm going to say 17 people for okay. now, just because... Like I said, Toby's my favorite character. And for the first time ever, you see the power dynamic between Bartlett mm-hmm. and Toby has completely shifted. Toby takes the Bart Toby takes Bartlett to task. Yeah, like to- Bartlett can't hide behind the office. He can't hide behind his smugness. He can't hide behind yeah. his gigantic level of intelligence to like get around the fact that like you did a bad thing. Toby knows it and he's just coming after you now. Yeah. There's there's also it's the first time that I really felt um, Bartlett's anger and, mm-hmm. and he's also hurt. Cause right. like they, they have an interaction in the, in the, in the Oval Office and essentially, you know, Bartlett goes like, and the walls came tumbling down. I'm fine by the way. Like mm-hmm. if you're concerned about my well being, cause like right. it doesn't even come up. Right. Like Toby yeah. doesn't even say like, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Like that's not mm-hmm. even a part of the equation. Um, they're both hurt on very different levels yeah. and their anger is manifesting itself in very different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Sorkin is a playwright. We all know he's a playwright and he's very, very good at 
creating dramatic situations that can feel theatrical between two people, which is a mm-hmm. rarity um, where two people talking is just unbelievably engaging to watch. Right. And this episode, specifically the, the, those Oval Office scenes do feel like a play mm-hmm. in the best possible way. Yeah, um, yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and it's, it's juxtaposed with, in that episode, with them trying to come up with jokes yeah. for, for a speech uh, filled with some really, yeah, something about a sock puppet. <laughs> right, which is also one of the best Toby moments on the show yeah. is that he walks out of the Oval Office, yeah. he walks into this room, now he has to be funny. Yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's fantastic. It's great. It's, and, and it's you know, wonderful. I love the Bartlett character, but he is a little full of himself throughout the show. So I, I kind of liked seeing the air come into that balloon a little mm-hmm. bit. I, I kind of liked someone like not putting up with his uh, BS, like coming after him and stuff. If I'm not mistaken, 17 people is also the episode where Josh and Donna have that great exchange right. where Josh says, your boyfriend didn't mm-hmm. come to your, didn't, didn't come to the hospital after she, whatever. And he says, all I'm saying is if you were in an accident, I wouldn't stop to get a beer with my buddy. And she's like, if you were in an accident, I wouldn't stop for red lights. Yeah. And, I mean, Donna, and Donna says, it cause like, yes, Josh, you are better than my boyfriend. And he's such a prick to her the whole yeah. episode. It's, like, it's, it's, just, it's a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. It, it's, you really it, see it's, how much he yeah. cares about her. Absolutely. It's I've I've said this before, I'll say it again. Season two of the show is my favorite season of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the first season pre-9-11 as well, where the show gets to kind of be its most yeah. itself. Like it's mm-hmm. the most sort of grandiose it ever really is. Right. Because it feels like after 9-11, the show, as good as it very well is, mm-hmm. the tack changes, the country yeah. changes, you know, there's mm-hmm. lots of things that happen. Um, and season two is just a really beautiful season. That episode in particular is, is a favorite of mine as well. Mm-hmm. I'll say one last thing about Stirred, um, mm-hmm. which is also a great episode from season three, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donna in the fucking Oval Office calling her teacher. Oh, yeah. Makes me cry every goddamn it's, time. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, tell her, tell her where you are, you know? And she, yeah. the woman on the other side of the phone Mrs. is Mrs. Morello. Like, What's that? Yeah. yeah, Mrs. Morello. Yeah. It's great. And I love that it's so Bartlett says, I can't do it. I can't give her, I can't make Molly Morello day. There's too much inside <laughs> politics. That like they're realistic about those things. Yes. It's not yes. like, oh, it's a show about the president. Let him do something nice for Donna. He was like, nah, I can't help you. <laughs> you know, but what I can do is this. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's it's wonderful. And, and yeah, and then they talk about Beowulf and and right. and Twelfth Night and whatever. Like it's yeah, I I I don't know. I'm I'm a sucker for this stuff. It just mm-hmm. works so well on me. And I and and that I understand people that and I don't want to say that they're cynical or they're jaded because that's not fair, but I understand people that just can't get on its wavelength. And that's mm-hmm. not a judgment that's not like I'm better or smarter than you. It's right. just certain things hit you in the soft spots, right? And mm-hmm. they just get you. And this is one of those shows that I feel like gets yeah, Westwing did it. Westwing did that fantastically. That episode also stirred is the first time you really see that Bartlett actually really has a lot of affection for Hoynes too, because they're talking yes. about kicking Hoynes yes. off the ticket. And he just yeah. writes a note that says he's on the ticket I because I could die, and <laughs> he's the guy I want to be president if that happens. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's a really it's a really special show that, and and I'm gonna say this, and it's gonna sound like I'm patting my patting ourselves on the back Mm -hmm. it understands the power of words it understands the power of dialogue um and you know in the previous episode emily vanderwerf made a really interesting point about how this show made you think that 
that intelligence and and oratory and mm-hmm. the right ideas right. could get you far in politics. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's just <laughs> not the case. Right. Um, and I just like to believe that it still is the case. And that's maybe naive of me, but, you know. And the theme, the whole theme of season four is we shouldn't be afraid of those things. Right. That it's not a bad to be the smartest kid in class. It's not bad to be the first person yeah. with your hand up. But, like, yeah. for some reason, when you're running for president, it's a bad thing. And yeah. Bartlett basically proves that's not true. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't set it bare myself. I, I think that the show is, um, I, I think it's one of the best. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to, to talk with you on about it. I know that uh, I know that you're a big fan and we've got lots of other guests that are, that are big fans uh, coming down the road. But um, I just really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk, oh, about, uh, talk about this episode with me. I thank really you do. for having me, especially because there have been shows where I've loved the pilot and then I've watched the second episode and I'm like, <laughs> I'm done. I don't need this anymore. Where they basically like sell out the premise of the pilot and, and they're like, it's a broadcast network show now. And I'm like, yeah. this episode didn't do that. So I was very happy to come along yeah. and, and come on and talk about this one. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it, Don. Thank you. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. It's 1999. Podcast like it's. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.